Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit, but what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma, to highlight its impacts, and most importantly, to help those who've lived through it to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents, and adults, trying to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot, and now you will too. But first, a trigger warning. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma, and suicide. If you don't think you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath, and come back another day. I'll be here. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and elders on all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold, and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture, and future, and I'm committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice, and creating opportunities to heal together. I pay my deep respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past and present and acknowledge all Aboriginal children, young people, families and staff who I provide services to now and in the future. I embrace and commit to the spirit of work and self-determination, empowerment and reconciliation. The Trauma Tale started as a little passion project to entertain me during lockdown, but it's turned into something so much more than I ever could have imagined. I'm the host, the producer, the admin, marketing, content developer, social media manager and designer. I could sell the Trauma Tales, but that would mean that the anonymity of the people I interview wouldn't be as protected as it is now. See, it's only me who knows and I swore to protect the people who share their stories with you. But that means that I don't get to take in any of the network's funds either. So to keep the trauma tales running, I've launched a Patreon account for those of you who want more than just the regular seasons. Patreons will be entitled to discounted merch, extra content, and heaps more, like Q&As with me. So to help me keep this podcast going, jump on the link in the show notes and make a one-time contribution or a monthly subscription so I can keep sharing these stories with you and protect those who honour us with their tales. Welcome back to the Trauma Tales, everybody. Today I am joined by Paula. Hi, Paula. How are you doing? Oh, good. Thanks, Shana. It's great to be on your show. Thank you so much for joining me. So um, Paula is not actually being anonymous today. Paula is her real name because Paula is going to be speaking about... um, uh, something that she's written about in her book and we're going to talk about her book and what she does now because it actually was I guess born from uh the trauma we're going to talk about really wasn't it yeah definitely yes yeah so if you wouldn't mind could you tell us a little bit about um a time where you experienced trauma yeah um 
I guess I set the context. Uh, I was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate. And so obviously I had a facial, facial deformity um, growing up. Uh, throughout, throughout my childhood, I had numerous operations to correct the, the um, deformity. But uh, I guess it didn't impact me greatly until I started uh, primary school. So uh, I, I, it's funny, I remember my first day at uh, kindergarten and I was so excited to, to make new friends and, and have a, you know, go to school and learn new things. And um, I remember sitting in the room, looking around, trying to go, who's going to be my new friend? And it was, it didn't come across the way I had hoped. Um, I remember seeing, like looking at certain girls and they'd um, look at me and, and go like, you know, open up their eyes and go, what are you looking at? Like type thing, you know, and it would embarrass me and shame me and mm. I'd look away. Um, so I found from day one that it wasn't so simple to make friends. Um, and it, and as things escalated, uh, I, I guess over the course of a year and a half, so it was kindergarten through to year one, mm-hmm. um, it kind of escalated to, to a lot of bullying. So the bullying looked like a lot of verbal um, bullying, so being called names like Fat Lip and Train Tracks instead of the use of my name, and also being physically kicked in the playground by the boys at school just for fun. So, oh my god, yeah, yeah. So I remember um, I'd be in the playground and wanting to play, and I'm just wondering whether I think they were trying to, they were pretending to want to play with me. So I, I would agree and say yes, I want to play, but. Their playing was um, whoever got to me first kicked me in the shins would win. So it was like one of those, you know, I was like the goalpost uh, using oh. that. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of times that I went home with new bruises on my shins and sometimes uh, because they kicked me so often um, or daily that the bruises would turn into bleeding. So I'd go home with shins bleeding. Yeah. Mm. And you, you were such a little kid. You were only like six. Yeah, I was so I was six years old, and you know during that time I grew up in the early eighties. So you know there was a lot of times where you grow up going you didn't want to tell anyone anything because mm. you know growing up it was like oh dobbers wear nappies you know if you go and tell. Um, but I got to a point where I just had enough and I wanted things to stop. So one day I plucked up the courage and I went to see my uh, teacher in New One and told her. I think it was during recess that um, I was being, you know, kicked in the playground. And again, instead of getting the, the support that I needed, she, she pointed at the door and yelled, go away, don't tell tattletales and, and shamed me. And I, I remember in that moment, I, you know, my face flushed, uh, you know, I felt really embarrassed and really, mm. really ashamed that I'd done, the, like it was my fault that I had done the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I, I left, uh, left the classroom and yeah, it was awful. And, and looking back on it now, um, I didn't realize that that was a defining moment in my life where I felt that, um, you know, my, my, I didn't have a voice that, that my truths were considered lies and those in authority turned a blind eye. Yeah, what did your what did your parents do? Like they would have obviously seen your little legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, my parents, um, I guess, came from the silent generation. Uh, so mm. a, a lot of them were like, you know, obviously they saw the pain and suffering I was going through, and 
you know, I think there was talk about sending me to another school, but again, they were worried that I go to another school, it's going to happen again. Um, you know, they came from a generation where compared to these days where uh, they let the, the school get on with it, you know, they won't go and interfere um, and, and that sort of thing. But I do remember, because um, at the time my brother was a police officer, so I do remember him going to the school and going to talk to the principal about um, what was going on for me at school. And then I remember one day my that very same teacher that, that dismissed my feelings um, brought me to the front of the class and she made me um, put my put my leg up on a little chair and pull down my socks to show the kids all the bruises and the bleeding of my shins. And then she was like yelling and screaming. And again, it made me feel like I was put on display and for the world to see and to be shamed and ridiculed, even so though, she, mate, yeah, yeah. She yelled at you or she yelled at them? I think she yelled at them, but it felt like I was embarrassed Doesn't because really it was like she yanked me up there. You know, yeah. like she was angry. Like, I don't know. I don't know whether the principal had told her off or something had happened. And then, it, but it, I remember that that time was really, it didn't feel cathartic, if that makes sense. Yeah, it still no. felt like I was put on display and, and shamed or made mocked of in front of the kids at school. And yeah, did it, did it stop? Uh, yeah, the, the kicking, the kicking stopped in the playground, but obviously with kids, the bullying mm. started in different ways. So it became more verbal assault, verbal bullying, taunts, you know, like those teachers couldn't hear, you know, they become more creative. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned, I just want to clarify in my own head, you mentioned your, your brother was a police officer at the time. How yeah. much older than you is your brother? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was, so I'm the youngest of four and my brother, he, he was the third one in line. So we're, we're about 15 years apart in age. Oh, okay. So you, were you planned? So did no, you I was, I was an accident. You're a happy little <laughs> yeah. accident or a, a whoopsie baby. Accident. Yeah. Well, mum thought she was going through menopause. <laughs> and she went to the doctor and he goes, let's do a pregnancy test and see. <laughs> and then what do you know? There was a caller. Bingo! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, in when this was happening, you were little. What happened, sort of after? Like, did it continue into the rest of primary school and, and high school? Yeah. Um, at the time, I went to a co-ed Catholic uh, primary school, so mm-hmm. uh, I guess the bullying continued up until my last day of school. I remember um, there was a one of the the boys had a pool party at their place on the last day of school. So obviously I went with, with everyone else and, and the taunts continued, you know, and the name calling and I lost it. I broke down in front of them. I think that was the first time in seven years that I'd actually lost it, you know, and I don't know what it was. I don't know whether it was because I was at someone's house, someone's parents' house, and they, maybe they were scared to get in trouble or maybe they felt a bit empathic about, the way they were treating me, I don't know, but then then things changed, mm. um, and they were like like kissing my head and like calling me by my name, like Paula and all of that sort of thing. So it kind of felt really good, but it kind of made me feel like, why after seven years did it take that long? Do you know, like for things yeah. to yeah, well, it was well, weird. So I still don't know what that means. Yeah. So it's but, like, yeah, something happened. It was almost like someone went, 
wait, this isn't actually okay. Mm. Yeah. And after all that, so even though you'd been saying it, you know, years beforehand and everyone just ignored you and just mm. almost like swept it under the rug by yeah. the sounds of it. Like let, yep. let's just not acknowledge it's sort no. of happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, then when yeah. it was unavoidable because mm. you're, mm. yeah, they're all there at a pool party. You can't yep. unsee that. No. No. So, yeah, I remember I lost it. And I, I don't know if I was, um, I can't remember what I said, but I probably did feel like I wanted to end it all. So I may have said that I didn't want to be around or that sort of thing as well. So maybe the kids heard that as well um, and it scared them, but I'm not sure. So, so yeah, how old were you? Um, at that time, I was 11. This episode of The Trauma Tales is brought to you by Cognitive Behavioural Education, providing training and supervision for people working with people who experience trauma. If you work with people, you know how challenging it can be sometimes and how you can end up having the wrong end of someone's day or having to deal with their trauma. CBE's training and supervision services can upskill and support you and your team to manage, de-escalate and thrive in these situations. For more information, go to www.cbe.net.au. Yeah. Wow. Mm. So yep. you mentioned not wanting to be around. Did you mean not wanting to be around them or not wanting to be alive? No, not wanting to be alive. Yeah. And was that the first time you felt suicidal? Mm. I know I used to fantasize a lot about being born normal because, you know, obviously I liked growing up, I liked to compare myself to others around me. And I saw the way the pretty girls, the pretty normal girls were treated at school. You know, they were the teacher's pets. They were the ones that were picked for certain certain things at school. Um, you know, so it, it just seemed that way. The boys didn't didn't bully them in, in the way that they were bullying me. So um you know so I used to dream a lot that I wish I had you know I was born normal or looked normal or or I had a superpower I remember I used to have these really vivid dreams as a kid that I had a certain superpower that I could fly and then I could fly at school and everybody would be like oh wow you know and become my new friends you know because I had this power um so I remember that I also remember a time where I think I was really going through the depths of despair and I had said to mum once I'm, I don't remember this recalling this but my mum remembered telling me that I had said to her once that I wished I could, had a gun and that I could go and shoot everyone at school and that was in primary school because I was wow so, yeah because I was so stressed about the whole thing I just wanted everything to stop mm. that's big mm. and it's sort of yeah I guess uh, like we're of the same generation so I remember mm columbine really well um as that uh, even though it wasn't like mm. the first school shooting to, in in my memory in my context that was the first sort of school shooting and i remember i actually read a book about it last year and i've watched documentaries about it and it's just come up sort of since then mm. because there are so many mass shootings um in the united states mm. and people talked about these kids having been bullied and there's like were they bullied? Were they not? Were they bullied? Were they not? But at the end of the day, the fact was they were not well. They were not in a good place. And how impacted they clearly were by those around them 
because we need as humans as we've as we've learned in covid and all these lockdowns we've learned that we actually need each other we need mm. connections to each other so because we've had that removed like people aren't doing well obviously but kids need that stuff too mm. and the yeah we sort of went through school around the same time and it was very much that I remember being bullied at school and no one gave a shit no they, don't. they were like well don't cause trouble like teachers would say to you I'd go you know you'd say this kid's picking on this kid oh just sort it out yourselves you know mm. that mentality of of that's expected and that's normalized mm. um you know now I, when I work in clinic I do a lot of work with teenagers I love working with teenagers they're the, the absolute most fun um but they that language has changed now and they're like no bullying's actually not okay we're not going to accept mm. that we're not going to do that so there's there's parts of me that sort of reflect back on people of our generation who were mm. bullied and we were given a really really different rhetoric we were told to just you know put up and shut up take it on the chin yeah, yeah. basically um and feeling for our generation even the generations before that how damaging that was mm. for such formative years and mm. no wonder we've got bloody trust issues <laughs> honestly <laughs> like mm. these people in in space of authority just allowed us to be but effectively abused by our peers mm. because our peers didn't know better behavior because mm-hmm. they weren't taught so we were taught mm. to shut up instead mm. no i agree and now you see with the education system how how principals and teachers are being bullied by parents and i'm just i can't help but wonder that well it's it's our generation now that has a voice we've you know we've all gone through some form of something at school growing up and you know, now we're, we're seeing it replayed in our children and going, mm. well, this time I'm not going to sit there and be silent. I'm not going to sit there because my parents didn't do anything or didn't try. I'm going to come in and I'm going to facilitate a, a resolution or a solution. And, you know, the amount of the amount of money that parents are paying at schools these days for top education, I, I think it also gives them that sense of right to say, well, I have an opinion, you know, if my child's not not you know, flourishing or getting getting what they need from the school, then, you know, the school has to answer for it because it is a business at the end of the day. It's, not, mm. it's, it's a business of educating and keeping, educating um, our next generation to thrive in society and have these these moral codes and values. And if the schools aren't developing these, these codes and values from day one, then what kind of society are we going to have in 20 years' time? Yeah, we wouldn't allow it in a workplace. No. The, the, the way that, you know, kids so I have two kids I have uh like a teenage son and a little girl and the way that like you wouldn't obviously teenage boys they sometimes they talk to each other in certain ways you wouldn't allow that in a workplace Mm. like you would you would have HR up your nose Mm. constantly if you and you you can't behave like that in a workplace but and yet we go well it's it they're just kids well no no and it's not it shouldn't be the responsibility of the victim or the victim's family to have to do something about it. It should be a teachable moment for the child that's engaging in the bully behaviours to go, hang on a yep. second, you need to learn something different. You need some new skills and resources in this space mm-hmm. because what you're doing isn't functioning. Yeah, correct. And especially when, you know, and again, bullying is very subjective. I mean, for me, what I went through based on how I looked, I was different. I couldn't change it um, and physically being kicked. So that was that was you know, 
again, that was unprovoked and that was happening. But then there's other forms of bullying as, as, as well that you see in the workplace that, you know, again, could be um, subjective as well. You know, so there could be things where people are rubbed the wrong way, um, but the person doesn't understand that what they've said has offended or upset that person. So I think, yes, definitely, like you said, that having having the, the, the child that's bullying for example another child getting to understand what's going for that going on for that child why they're doing that what's the payoff for them in getting Mm. that done and like yourself you know you're working with a lot of um trauma teens in trauma and potentially they could be going through a lot of things at home and that's their only outlet as well which we don't know so yeah it is a very a lot of layers involved Mm. And I always look at, because bullying doesn't just happen at school. It's not just children. We all know, like everybody listening to this, right now in this moment, if you thought about someone who's an adult bully, everybody can think of somebody Mm. who's an adult who acts like a bully. We all know them. Um, What we never, ever think of, first of all, is that we might be somebody else's first thought of as a bully. But we also... We don't look at what purpose that behaviour serves. Mm-hmm. Everybody does something. Every behaviour that we do has a purpose. It has a, like we do it for a reason. What purpose does the bullying behaviour serve that person, whether they're a, a, another six-year-old or an adult? And if we can change the purpose of that behaviour, then bullying itself is not really needed. They don't need to do that anymore because they have a different behaviour that serves the same purpose. Yes, the same payoff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. people bully, particularly, you know, if, as you grow and, and turn into an adult, people bully because it works. Hmm. They get something from it. Exactly. To learn behaviour, correct? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, hmm. it works for them. They get what they want, so they keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yes. Why would they do differently when they don't have to? What no. would be the point? Exactly. And then and then pepper that with uh, lack of emotional intelligence or self-awareness, you know, mm. of what they're doing because they're so close to that that behaviour that they don't know any different. They Because like you were saying, it's all about them. It's all about their ego. It's all about, well, what what's in it for me? What kind of, you know, well, if I'm going to be a bully as a child because it gets me what I want, then when I'm in the workplace, well, if I bully others and step step on people's toes, it'll get me promotions and get me into a leadership role, you know, because it works. It does. You know? And then a lot of the rest of us who sit there and say, oh, I don't want to rock the boat. I'm not saying anything. I'll just stay away from that bully. I'll let them bully that other person because they're picking on that person and not on me. Not me. That's like a, being in the playground. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's a survival. Yeah. In this gift-giving season, I want to introduce you to Mind Love. They're a hamper company, but with a difference. So most hampers are like about flowers or wine or chockeys, robes and candles. And these are all really lovely, but sometimes you want something more personal for the person's needs. Mind Love is a hamper company about our mental health. So you can go to the website and you can either build a hamper from scratch and put anything you like in it from a huge range of products. Or if you prefer, you can select from an already curated hamper and their products are incredible. So I actually had one made for Frankie's wife when she had surgery. 
It was chock full of amazingness. I selected the ultimate pamper package because she really needed some relaxation and self-care time after everything that had happened in the last few months. She loved it. She told me it was exactly what she needed. And Mind Love isn't just for adults. I have heaps of products and packages for kids and teens as well. So if you want to give something to support someone you love, show them that you hear them and that you see them and help to normalize mental health, go to mindlove.com.au. That's M-I-N-D-L-O-V-E.com.au. Say hi to Jen for me. Tell her I sent you mindlove.com.au. All about prioritizing self-care and mental health. Ah, uh, yes. And that's yes. not how people, that's not conducive to how people are, how we're actually designed to communicate and engage with each other. Um, we're much more communicable than that. So what in, so you're also, and I should have introduced you properly and I do apologize. Um, you're also a cognitive scientist. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you study how people think basically. Yeah. So what do you think? And knowing that as, as social beasts um, as humans are, what uh, do you think are some of the susceptibilities and mitigating factors to people becoming uh, or using or engaging bullying behaviours? Mm. I think I think the susceptibility is again, you know, like like I said, it's it's raising self awareness about you know who they are. Um, who they want to become Uh, it's about the circle of influence and who they hang around so it becomes that sense of normality Mm. you know so so if they're in a you know crowds where you know they're they're taunting other people other children then and they think and they think it's a game then they think it's funny you know so it's again it's what's allowed and what's permitted and again and a lot of the time you know when I work with, with also with teens as well. And for me, it's like working on um, leadership, defining who they are, you know, creating their own sense of identity without having to be a bitch, <laughs> you know, like without having to, to be a bully, to, to, do, to do those, um, you know, those, those harmful things to others or to themselves, you know, unintentionally. Mm. So, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. So you and I both sit in, in um, I guess, leadership sort of spaces and I'm sure that, uh, like, it's definitely happened to me. Uh, you know, it may or may not have happened to you, but I've been accused of being a bitch many times and when I'm really reflective about the situation in which I've been accused of being a bitch, um, I look at, A, who's making that accusation? What was the behaviour? they're defining and what purpose would it serve like was I actually being a bitch and there's been obviously occasions where I'm like yeah no I had no coffee you know snapped at that one but many of the occasions I notice the similar pattern and it's when I'm not compliant to a narrative that's that's not serving that person so if that person says to me um we're doing it this way and I go well actually we need to be looking at alternatives because that way is not going to get you the outcome that you want for this and this and this reason because I've said that I'm being difficult and I'm being Mm -hmm. a bitch and one of the best 
quotes I came across was actually what well, I didn't come across. It was sent to me after I'd been called a difficult bitch at work. It was by a colleague. <laughs> well, it was because I stood up and, well, I didn't actually physically stand up, but I sort of went, hang on a minute. This is the hard way to do something. There are yeah. alternative methods of, of getting the same outcome that requires less mm. effort and less, you know, cost, whether it be fiscal or time cost. And because I disagreed with that person and presented an alternative option, I was labelled the difficult bitch mm-hmm. because it's such an easy throwaway, particularly obviously to women, to go, no, no, you're not allowed to speak. Mm. So yes. then someone sent me this the, who was also in that meeting. So uh, they did end up doing what I said to do because the other way just cost too much money. Mm. But anyway, um, that Jane Goodall said, it was a quote from Jane Goodall, something about difficult women being called a difficult woman isn't an insult and that's why there's so many of us or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So it brought me back to the idea of of bullying and when bullying behaviour is used as a way to silence and keep yourself at the top, so keeping other people down Mm. to keep yourself at the top as like like an arrogant cycle. Yes. It just keeps a perpetuating cycle and we see it in like so many different facets. So we see it in sports, in, in so much in sports. Oh, my giddy art. Um, and that, that top of the pack mentality mm. Mm. And, and how they approach things. And we also see it in, in the corporate world and how they don't like change. We don't, we don't like change. And no. If, we don't like something somebody else says. We tend to attack them as a person and use bullying behaviours to put down that person and therefore get rid of them and their ideas so we mm. stay at the top. Yes, yes. And I think I, I think also having worked in, um, you know, working corporates as well, uh, you know, we're so interconnected. We're so globalised now that it's a free-for-all when it comes to opportunities you know, like we're so connected that we have everything at our fingertips, but also it's a disservice because not only are we competing with the person next door to us for a position, but we're also competing for uh, across globally as well for the same position. So, mm. you know, I've gone for positions um, where they've advertised, yeah, globally and they've hired somebody from, say, the UK and that person's relocated to Australia for the role, you know, so it's no longer just competing against people in your in your backyard and so mm. that increases the 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 sense of uh, competition and the sense of a scarcity mindset and with the scarcity mindset brings that sense of um, fear and the sense mm. of fear the sense of fear is you know then we start bringing in all those biases those conscious and unconscious biases that we have about people and it could be prejudice or racial or um, anything you know and and so what you're seeing it becomes that com- competitive streak like you're seeing in sport where it's all about you know you're only as good as your last performance you know yeah. same same at work you're only as good as your last you know your last client or the last the last win you did or the last whatever yeah, and, and and if you're underperforming at another in another quarter, it's like, oh, what's going on there? You know, rather than like, sort of going, hey, you know, um, is there anything we can do to help? You know, to improve. And I think I think there is a shift going on. I mean, my most of my career has been within the pharmaceutical medical research field. So again, that's highly competitive. Um, it's very 
um, yeah, cutting edge. And I think it's recently and in the last several years that they've started to become a bit more, um, how do I say, diverse and inclusive and a bit more sort of caring about mental health issues and bringing that to the forefront um, rather than leaving your, your, your stress and other issues at the door the second you walk into the corporate space and put your work hat on and you've just got to perform at, you know, 150% level regardless of whatever else is going on. Yeah. Because that's what it was. And I think, it, you know, burnt out, that's why there's so many people burning out and that's why there's a lot of competition and women not supporting each other because it is bloody hard. It's hard for us to get promoted. It's hard for us to get recognised as women. And, you know, if you get married, if you have children, you know, then there's a fear of, oh, I'm going to be left behind in my career because I've got to take maternity leave or they're going to give me shitty, shitty work to do because, oh, I, you know, little Billy's going to get sick so I have to drop everything and run to preschool to pick up Billy and come home so work stops work is dropped and so you become perceived as unreliable you know or not a team player so you know of, of course you know and that's and that's where things can sort of go wrong yeah I'm, I'm well because you spend so much time in the more time in the corporate space than I have I'm really uh, I, I I'm really confused by that approach because my when you have children, yes, I'm their mother, but they also have a father. And why is it that we view women of birth-faring years as more of a risk? Like how have we yeah. set that up so much that men in birth-faring years are not just as judged? Mm-hmm. Because and that's because yeah. we carry the the administrative, operational, and uh, emotional and psychological toll of everybody, and that's just yeah. expected. Like you're just told it's that's true, and because we live in a patriarchal society, you know, mm. corporate is masculine. You know, the the hierarchy, the way things are, it's all it's all a masculine masculine driven derivative of you know past past generations. And as we're having the baby boomers sort of moving moving out of the workforce and a lot of gen x's are our generation going into leadership roles now and and higher roles and ceo ceo positions then you've got the millennials coming in demanding you know uh, a better work-life balance and then the gen z's are coming in going yes we want a work-life balance but we also want to work for a company that gives a shit and you know cares about mental health issues and also sustainability and the environment and what they're doing to help the un global goals you know so it it it, it is evolving. It is changing. Um, I find it quite interesting because, you know, when I think back to, and this is this is the rationale as to why I work with teens, is because I'm seeing all these challenges in the workplace, uh, you know, that women are facing, like such as, like I said, you know, mummy guilt and career, you know, juggling career and, and being a mum and feeling like you're failing at both, you know, um, having the lack of self-confidence in, in themselves because, again, you know, it's like we're comparing ourselves to other people and, and there's this high expectation that we need to, to be perfect and have this performance and so being able to understand and having lived experience also as a leader in corporate going okay well the future of work is all good and well but the future of work is also not not just 
going to university and having a degree or a qualification to be able to work but it's also about developing these um these these emotional skills um to be able to go hey let's change the narrative let's change the narrative as a teenager because you know as a teenager is when you're forming your identity Mm. you know that's when you're trying on different personas with your friends and trying to fit in and trying to belong but still wanting to be an individual and having your own you know Instagram accounts and and all of that and you know it's it's something that you know you can work with and pliable and for me if I had known if I had known that those beliefs that I grew up with you know from the bullying and feeling like I didn't have a voice and that my you know my thoughts my feelings didn't count and those in authority turned a blind eye you know those types of things it it was it's like the lens that you wear and you look through life you know Mm. I looked through life with with those those lenses of going okay well I don't want to be in a situation where I'm being bullied again so I'm going to stay quiet I'm not going to be visible but the 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 challenge is if you don't show up and and be visible then how do you get promoted yeah how do you stand up and and ask for what you want you know and I think you know and these girls are so beautiful like these these teenage girls and the irony is that they're all they're all born normal and they're beautiful girls on the inside and out and yet when I when I work with them they do feel like they have a physical deformity like they feel themselves even Mm. though I have one on my face where I'm using it as an example to help them to say well you don't you have the added advantage that you don't have that but this is what you can do with what you're feeling you know you can change you can change how you see yourself you can change how you want others to see you and you you know what I mean and you can you can change all the narratives yeah so I guess that brings me to the work that you're doing now and and your book and how you've turned this space into something really positive for other people and kind of I guess work to heal yourself in that as mm. well. So tell me a little bit about it. <laughs> yeah, um, I get. I guess for me, um, like I said, I would have liked if I I created an eight week leadership program for teenage girls to help them create confidence to conquer life and themselves. And and I created it because I I wished it was something I had growing up as a teenager. And I know that the schools are doing their best um, and to implement all sorts of programs into their schools, Um, you know, but I guess one of the the things that I like about what I do with the girls, it's not a big mass production. It's more of a bespoke where, where I have a small, small amount of girls where we can be vulnerable together. Um, Mm. A lot of the, a lot of the things that we talk about in our sessions, they would not talk about that at school. No, You know, they wouldn't be vulnerable because, you know, they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be teased. They don't want to be criticised. Um, they don't want to be laughed at. And so I work, I work with a small amount of girls that um, potentially those that are moving into leadership roles, into the, moving into their senior years, because obviously, you know, come, moving into leadership, it's about creating that sense of leadership identity that they're the, I guess, the face, the face of the year. You know, they're, they're putting their best foot forward for the, for the, 
the whole school. So it's leading by example. And mm-hmm. the leadership, the leadership that I create is a servant style leadership. So it's taking that that sense of ego, of what's in it for me, but it's about understanding themselves, understanding their triggers, understanding their beliefs about who they are, who they want to become, and bridging that gap. Mm. You know, and it's it's not a it's not a be a, a, a a quick fix but it's something that they can be aware of to say wow there there is this stuff this really cool stuff there um, that I can apply straight away um, to make changes in my life and then build upon it as I get older um, mm. a lot yeah a lot of the stuff I do with these girls um, are really done in corporate or people um, adults who choose to work on themselves there's a lot of people that would never um, get the opportunity to to learn these skills that these girls are learning today. Yeah, wow. And mm. and I read your book that you launched just well by the time this podcast is edited and released last year, so you released it in 2021. <laughs> Tell me about your book. I mean, I've read it, but not everybody has, but they should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got it. It's right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so my book's called The Limited Edition Leader and it's mm-hmm. called Create Confidence to Conquer Life. I wrote the book to four Generation X mums who have teenage goals. Um, and it's a, it's a quick read. It's a little, it's a big mix of uh, personal experience and science in mm-hmm. there. And, mm-hmm. it, and it gives you a really good insight into, um, you know, creating confidence, why we do the things we do, um, looking at the five challenges that women face in the workplace today and how to how to mitigate them. Um, and because I've written it for, for women my age, like our generation, um, there'll be a lot of people nodding their heads going, yeah, yeah, I can relate. This makes a lot of sense. And as a result of that, um, you know, mums can also share the book with their daughters as well. Mm. and then they can even use it as a platform for discussion where they can both open up and share you know the mum can share examples of what she went through growing up at school and and you know her daughter you know can build that closer relationship with with their mum so I Mm. think that's what I hope to achieve with the book and so far so far I've had some yeah good responses Getting a tattoo can be a really intense experience. The smell is unique. The space is often exactly what our parents' greatest fears for our teenies were, and sometimes the people can seem intimidating. And this can make it really hard to go through getting that tattoo, especially if you've never done it before. Trauma Tats is a boutique studio where the whole experience, from the time that you call or message, to supporting you to develop your artwork, to making you feel comfortable and safe in the space, to managing big emotions that tattoos can bring to your aftercare. The whole experience is about you and meeting your needs, where you're at making sure that the story that your tattoo is telling is nurtured and honoured. With special care for those whose stories sit in the trauma space, you, your tattoo and your story are safe with trauma tats. If we've ever met or you've seen me online, you probably noticed that I have some tattoos. If you ask me, I'll tell you about them. My tattoos tell a story just like the ones that I share with you on the Trauma Tales. If you have a story to share or honour and want to do that in a space where you feel safe and respected, contact Trauma Tales, a professional tattoo studio, to work through what you've been through. Find them on Instagram or Facebook, at Trauma Tales 1T, and tell them Shan sent you. 
Yeah, I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved the approach of because it's very much the same approach that I take, which is that um, when I'm working with kids and teenagers, I often tell and I, I say it all the time, but, you know, there's like 330-something hours in a fortnight. I only get one of those. So it's about less of me having to do it in that cramming all that stuff in one hour, but actually upskilling you who gets the rest of those hours and giving you more tools so that you can support them all the time because I only get a little bit. Um, and when I sort of frame it to, to parents and carers and even, you know, teachers that way, they go, that, that makes perfect sense. So when I read your book, I went, oh, my God, that's exactly the same. Your the goal is around supporting and upskilling and providing resources for the mum who's actually going to be there for the whole you know mm. adolescent period. Whereas if it was aimed at the teenage girls, they're going to sort of read it once and then something's going to change and something's going to move and it might not necessarily be something they come back to. Whereas mums coming you know using that brilliantly, I love this using you know your background in cognitive science, knowing that mums will keep coming back to or even dads, dads to do, of course. Yeah. Um, but they will keep coming back to that tool um, throughout adolescence. I was like, that's just freaking genius. That's clever. You wanted a book aimed at building confidence of teenage girls, but you aimed it at the parents because they're the ones that are going to have to do the heavy lifting in that space. And we haven't put all the onus of that onto the teenager. Mm, yeah it's a collaborative it. approach it's a collaborative approach yeah. and again you know it's like anything like if you work for corporate um you're only as good as the leaders right because if you you could have all the passion and all the intention to change culture and improve the workplace as much as you want but if you don't have the buy-in of the leaders the people that are the decision makers it doesn't matter what you do yeah mm -hmm. um same with parents you know like they're they're the circle of influence that these teenage girls have and yes obviously as the teenagers um grow up they want to hang around and get more opinions from their mates and other people rather than hmm. the parents so the parents start to become a bit more disassociated from yeah. from you know being close up to their child and wanting to protect them and it's all about helping their teenage daughters make smart choices because at the end of the day that's what we want we hmm. want our teens to be able to be to make smart choices and smart decisions without us always having to stick our nose in and, and micromanaging, which obviously exactly. will annoy them even more. <laughs> it's it's so funny you say that because I have a daughter who's, yeah, she's, she's only little at the moment. She's not a teenager, but she's very sure of herself. She's very confident. She's wow. kind of sassy. Um, <laughs> her nickname is the queen. Oh, and it, very it, good. It fits like that crown fits. And people say to me constantly, and I'm actually really annoyed by it. They go, oh, wait till she's a teenager. It's going to be hell. And my response to that is why? She's, she's confident. She's sure of herself. She doesn't take shit from anybody. Why is that a bad thing? I'm quite happy. Isn't that I, interesting? I have, I have very few fears about her adolescence because mm. she doesn't, she's not, easily led astray she is confident she does question things she does she very much owns her own space and she's very confident in in her own space why would I be worried about that and when I question people they go oh no more that she'll go off and, and do risky things and I'm like well if you're really no, confident you, she doesn't need to 
If she holds that confidence and that self-respect, she doesn't need to do those things that you're worried about, that you're worried she's going to be led astray by because why would she need to? No, I agree 100%. A lot of the teams I work with, um, you know, they, they're more concerned about what other people think of them. So they become a little bit more shy and more meek and mild and a bit more like just just scanning the environment, you know, to before they say anything, you know, just checking to see if everything's okay. And, you know, I think by the end of my course, and, and look, just a disclaimer, I uh, piloted my eight-week leadership program at um, Loretto College in South Australia um, during term four last year. And so I just really wanted to get some, some collaboration and feedback from the teens based on a program that was originally developed for adults. So just mm. trying to bring in those, those certain concepts and certain ways of explaining things so they can grasp the information in their heads. And um, I think I found we all had goals at the beginning of the session. So the begin at week one, we all had something we wanted to work on. And then by the end, the end of the eight weeks, what I found was um, one girl found that she was more highly motivated to study. So her grades improved. Um, another one was um, living in, in boarding school. So she, she was really worried about her environment um, at school. So she wasn't feeling, you know, wasn't getting very social. She was worried about what other people think of her. Um, she was very, you know, like she'd go into a room and she'd change her top like three or four times because she wasn't sure what if people would make a comment in a in a negative way and yeah. but by the end of it because she got got a, a more solid understanding about how we see the world and how other people see the world and how she sees herself she was able to um, start to break down those barriers of of um, improving her environment and she actually started making new friends in boarding school and I was like wow you know and she was able to stand out like to have that more confidence and assurance in herself than what she had in, in week one. And I found that really interesting. Um, mm. Yeah, another girl wanted to work on her um, like spirituality and that sort of thing. Initially, it was finance, but it somehow shifted from finance to spirituality. So it was more about, instead of a materialistic thing, it became more about like a... Um, like a servant thing, you know, more about um, giving. And, and mm. so, so it was really interesting, like how each girl uh, benefited in different ways than um, from when they first started. And I, I, I think it helps when, you know, had the buy-in of the school, they were, you know, they were, they were trusting. And again, like I said, it was only a group of six girls. So it wasn't a big a whole school year where you're generalizing things. Um, I also had one girl there, um, she had belief, beliefs about herself, like really negative beliefs. And when we got down to the root cause of it, it was some guy that was trying to get into her pants. And um, then he started calling her names because she trusted her gut instinct to say no. And she brought that up during the session, you know, and obviously mm. some of the girls knew about it because she started to say something and then she kind of fell back. And then the girls go, come on, come on. They encouraged her. And she was able to share this information. And I would definitely know that she would not have shared this information at school, not with the school mm -hmm. counsellor or with her parents, but she was able to feel more assured that her decision was correct or what she did and was able to flip her self-beliefs about based on the judgment of that guy. So, you know, to me, that that is what I do. That is what I love to do. And I think... Um, yeah, so I think that 
I really enjoyed it. And, you know, and we're still in contact today with the girls. <laughs> so it's really good. <laughs> That's good. So do you think that moving to work through similar situations with other young people has helped to heal some of your own trauma? Yeah, I, I think the most imp- one of the things that I find um, with what I do is, again, it's there's a lot of people in the space that do coaching, that do um, that work with with kids or that sort of, well, you know, what I do. But the thing is that you've got to be careful is that you want to make sure that these people have made peace with their past, you know, peace with their past traumas, peace with all their hang-ups. We all have something. All right. Mm. You know, we all have our own biases, whether we know it or not about Mm -hmm. things, our own hang ups. Like I could easily turn around like if I didn't make peace with um, my past, then I would be. How do I say influencing the girls in a way that serves me? Mm. Right. Which is. Yeah. So that doesn't serve anyone. The -hmm. bottom line is that I'm here as a as a. how do I say it as a, as a beacon to help serve them, you know? So it's not about my agenda. It's not about what I want or how I want the girls to be. It's, it's shining the light for each girl in the individual way to be able to, to thrive and to flourish, not only at school, but giving them the tools to be able to, to create, um, you know, create confidence to conquer life for whatever that looks like for them, you know? And at the Mm. end of the day, it's about, fast tracking them to make smart choices what they want to do you know if they don't want to sleep with a guy then they can have the right and the decision to say I'm not going to sleep with you just because you want you want to and so I can be liked I mean you know we or even if I have before even if I have before it doesn't mean I want to now exactly having the choice having the choice to say no you know Mm -hmm. rather than worrying about what people are going to think if I don't Mm. you know so yes I I think in a way for myself, and that's the reason why I've segued from working with adults to teens is because I see a lot of myself in these girls in sense, in the sense of, you know, these little insecurities and little nuances about, you know, not being perfect and looking at looking at each other and comparing ourselves and, and helping them sort of look at the lens and say, well, you know, you're more than just the comparison, you know, and helping them see how other people see the world as well, that we all see the world in a different way, even if we're siblings, you know, and mm. if we've experienced the same thing, we'll all recollect a different different part of that experience and how it impacts us. You know, some of us might be gravely impacted and the others, the other person might go, geez, I don't even remember that. Yeah. I was talking about, oh, my God, it's so funny you say that. Yeah. I was talking about this the other day. Uh, we were talking about concepts of truth. Now, when I do, because I'm a family therapist as well as a psychologist and a clinical consultant, I do family therapy. And when we talk about family therapy, so as an example, a family might come in and an incident's occurred within the family. Every single person will have a different concept Mm. of what happened to make up that incident. Every single one of them is right. And every sing- therefore, there is no such thing as the, the truth of that incident because mm-hmm. everybody in that scenario was right. Correct. The truth is a concept. And when people, when I have this discussion, people go, yeah, but if it was caught on camera or blah, blah, no, 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 there's still 
there's still nuances and history and emotional intelligence and things that are not seen. And, and we do communicate with each other through, uh, without language or without behaviours. So as a, and so even if you do see something on, on camera, it doesn't mean that that's the truth of it either. Um, and I had this, it's, it's super funny because I had this, I went to this shop the other day and this woman was literally just standing in front of the counter writing a car, a Christmas card to someone. It had nothing to do with what was happening in the shop and I'm waiting to be served and it was my turn and this the, the lady was like, okay, next. And the woman didn't, who was writing out her Christmas card didn't move. Oh. <laughs> and she's going, okay, next. And, and then she sort of looked at me and she didn't move in any certain way. She didn't mouth anything. She didn't say anything. She just looked at me and I felt her ask me for help. So just through eye contact, mm. I don't know this woman. I, mm. I have no idea who this woman is. I felt her asking for help. So I went up and touched this woman on the shoulder and said, sorry, excuse me, there's a lineup behind you. And she went, oh, sorry, my um, uh, her hearing aids weren't working. So she's like, I couldn't hear anything. So I said, no, that's fine. If you just want to, you know, sort of move on, you can do your Christmas card over here. And the woman behind the counter went, thank you so much. Oh, my God. I was so hoping that you would read my eyes. <laughs> but the way that we communicate with each other, you know, you couldn't have caught that on camera. You wouldn't have seen it. But there was truth in that too. So this concept of truth is literally just a concept. And just because you're, you are so married and believe so much in your version, it is the truth to you, but it doesn't make anybody else's version less true. So when yes. we talk about trauma specifically, people will go, oh, I don't remember that or I do remember this, but you don't remember this doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean it wasn't traumatic because every single person is nuanced and different. Yeah. And I never dismiss how someone feels about any situation. And like what you say, because there's different levels of truth and different levels of meaning that people add and then the emotions that come up for them in that in that recollection of that event, um, you know, even though for me might be like whatever, um, yeah, I would, because of what I've gone through growing up, I don't, I never dismiss what these girls are saying to me, you mm. know, and I encourage and I encourage and I ask questions and I'm inquisitive and I'm like, yeah, so how do, you know, so what does that mean for you? Or how did you feel about that? Or, you know, just, just getting curious without the judgment, because mm. again, you know, they're judging themselves as it is. That's all you need is extra layer of judgment on top yeah, of Yeah, you that. don't need any more. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're a teenage girl. You don't need any more judgment. You're doing hard enough on it as no. it is so no. where do you have a like a website like people can yeah. find your book sure people uh, find you? yes you can jump on to www.nolimitsconsulting.com.au brilliant and your book is called the limited edition leader create confidence to conquer life <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast today Paula it's been an absolute pleasure listening to how you turned your trauma into healing and now helping I love it thank you Shana thank you it's been a pleasure and I love your podcast and yeah congratulations it's fantastic thank you thanks so much I'll talk to you soon thank you bye-bye thank you for joining me today on the trauma tales now is a good time to go and do some self-care, especially if this tale resonated for you. If you'd like to reach out to The Trauma Tales to be a sponsor of the show or to come onto the show, please email thetraumatales, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com.
This podcast is a production of Shanna White Psychology.